Welcome to CEO Sessions, the podcast where we interview founders and CEOs of businesses big and small. Today, we have the founder of Raglan Food Co., Tish, with us. Now, before we get started, this isn't a trick question, but I'm curious what you had for breakfast this morning. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I didn't have any breakfast this morning. (laughs) I actually have been doing intermittent fasting, so only having lunch and dinner Mm. and and not breakfast. Yeah, so I've been doing that the past few years, and it's felt really good. Mm. I've heard about that. Yeah. Mm. Now, delving a bit deeper into who you are, where does the passion come from to start a successful company like Raglan Food Co.? Well, I've always loved food, (laughs) doesn't everyone? So I've always loved experimenting with different recipes and trying to make things at home. Mm -hmm. And so the yogurt started just because it was something I was making at home, trying to find a a dairy-free option that tasted really yummy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's where it all kind of began. That's so cool. Um, What are your hobbies? My hobbies, I love writing. I'm doing a novel writing course at the moment. I started at the beginning of the year. I enter these little short story competitions that the Australian Writers' Centre run. It's like an international writing competition. And my goal is to one day win. I haven't won yet. I've come sort of second and had a couple shortlisted, but still, yeah, still working on that one. And I love animals. We have two dogs. So I go for walks with them and really enjoy playing with them. And then I'm just really into social activities and doing things with friends. So we run a like a dinner party club and we have a different theme every month and everyone gets together and we dress up in fun outfits to match the theme and make food that matches the theme. So this Friday, oh, well, that's tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah, mm. tomorrow we've got our next one, which is Dutch, Dutch themed. So I'm trying to borrow some clogs at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Such a cool idea. If you were Prime Minister, what changes would you make that supported businesses and startups? Mm. Oh, I'd be so powerful. Well, if I was Prime Minister, I'd probably find ways to fund early stage startups. So I've noticed that that seems to be a common thread with all the different business people that I've talked to and all their journeys. There's funding and support available once you kind of get to a certain size and you've proven yourself and you can get in with New Zealand Trade and Enterprise and so on. But at that really early stage, it's hard to get backing and support. And so a lot of people never make it to the next stage. So Mm. I'd probably work on a program to do that early stage funding. What has been on your mind recently that you hope to share with listeners? It's been on my mind. Well, I found myself thinking about AI a lot (laughs) recently, (laughs) which I think a lot of people are. A lot of people have been talking about it. And just from that perspective of, enjoying writing especially it seems like writers and a lot of designers and a lot of creatives in general will be made almost redundant potentially in the near future by AI Uh, being able to do those things just as well or better and a lot faster than we can so there's something really strange about that and it's yeah it's a curious mix of emotions because on one side I'm excited by it and it seems like it'll make us a lot more productive and there's a lot of ways it can help, you know, especially business owners with a lot of things that we do. But then on the other side, um, we no longer have to use our own creativity to an extent. Like it's really hard to write a book, for example. You spend years, you know, getting skilled enough to write a book Mm. and then with AI you can give it a prompt and it can just write it, you know, straight away. (laughs) It's like it's 
it kind of makes you question your own ability and intelligence, you know, <laughs> having, having a tool that can do all these things for you. So that's been on my mind a lot lately. AI is taking over the world already. <laughs> it kind of seems like it, doesn't it? Um, what was your biggest challenge with Raglan Food Co and how did you overcome it? The biggest challenge was finding somewhere to build our factory. So mm -hmm. that was really hard. We're in a small town. There's limited commercial property. So places that you can lease that are big enough to run a factory and are pretty much non-existent. So we ended up having to actually buy land and build the whole thing from scratch, which is quite hard. And there was a lot of infrastructure we needed to put in and, you know, council consent and all these sorts of things that just took a long time and cost a lot mm. so I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge I'm still glad we did it that way because now we have a really cool spot and it's all set up and it you know works really well for us and it's all nice and new and shiny we didn't have to move into someone else's sort of secondhand building with things not laid out how we'd like them to be so lots of advantages but also lots of challenges yeah, and it's quite custom to your business. I'm sure you probably won't be upgrading anytime soon. Was funding an issue along the way? Yep. So we had the same challenge, the same kind of common early stage challenge. We got to the stage of needing to build a factory, a small factory we wanted to do in a shipping container. And so moving out of the commercial kitchen space that we'd been leasing or hiring on an hourly rate and get our own space. And yeah, that, that was really hard. We got turned down by a bunch of banks because we didn't have enough of a track record for them to think that it was worth taking the risk on. And we didn't have enough savings, you know, to do it. It's a lot of money to invest in even a small factory. So yeah, so, so that, was, that was definitely difficult in the first kind of two years of the business. Mm, it's such a, big, such a big issue because so many small startups that could be amazing and change the world are just rejected because they can't find funding or the banks don't trust them or they just, yeah. And so, it's hard. Mm. Mm. What are your ambitions for Raglan Food Co and for its future and its growth? Well, so we've said for years now that we want to be the most loved plant-based yogurt company and that's expanded to most loved plant-based food company because now we're doing more than just yogurt. So we're doing condiments now. We've got a vegan mayo and a vegan aioli and we're doing drinks, yogurt, smoothies, kefir and we're looking at other ranges as well. So so we're working on that and, and that's, you know, we've got, over 50% market share now for dairy-free yogurt in New Zealand. So that's really cool. So a lot of people do know it already and love it, but we'd love to start appealing more to people who don't necessarily consider themselves vegan or plant-based. They're more like sort of flexitarians and they want to cut down on dairy. They want to cut down on animal product intake, maybe for health reasons or maybe for environmental reasons. Uh, so that's what we're looking to do at the moment. The ambition is to find ways to, to bring them in and, and show them that it can be really delicious to eat plant-based food. I love your products. It's so delicious. Thank you. <laughs> don't know how you did it. What are your biggest tips for entrepreneurs? Mm, well, I think you just have to realize that it's going to be really hard. So I think a lot of people get into the idea of having their own business and they see all the all the shiny things about it, like, oh, I'll have freedom, I'll have time, I'll have more money, I'll have all these things. And all of that is possible, but there's there's a lot of work. There's a lot of, like, groundwork and just 
effort that needs to go in before you actually start reaping any benefits of being an entrepreneur. It is, it's like a, an all consuming full-time job. You know, you can't, you can't leave it. Yeah. It's there on the weekends. It's there on your holidays. There's always something to do and it's always on your mind. So I think just being prepared for that and, and being up for that challenge and going, okay, this is what I'm committing to. This is the life stage. I'm going to put in the mahi now and, you know, get the rewards later. What are your opinions on drop shipping and the methods on social media that are advertised as quick and easy ways to make money that make you financially free? Oh God, there's so many of those. <laughs> I don't, I don't trust them. I mean, uh, there are people who start successful e-commerce businesses mm. for sure, but it's not that everyone has the ability to set one of those up and it's going to mm. be successful. Like, there's a limit to how many things people want to buy and can't already find. I, I'm not interested in that kind of thing. I, I think yeah, if you want to really create something, then then it's something that is real and has value and, and you're creating that value either through building something that didn't exist or making something that wasn't as good a lot better and offering that to people. So, yeah, I wouldn't really fall for those things. <laughs> There's so many of them around. A lot of them just look scammy. Yeah, they're very, very suspicious when they're selling you a course for $500. Yes, did your interest in philanthropy and writing influence the business? I think so. Yeah, I think it did. The The philanthropy side and wanting to give back and do things, that's been a big driver for the business. So it's led us to do all kinds of things like set up a, a community fund. So we sponsor all these different organizations and people in Raglan and Whangaroa area who are doing good things for either people or the planet. And um, we've just started a Vibe Lifter Award program. So if you know anyone you can nominate for that, feel free. We're, we're looking for nominations all around the country from people who are doing cool things in their community. And we're giving out $2,500 grants to those people to help them with their work and also giving them a year's supply of products, which is a nice, <laughs> a nice little bonus as well. We've done a lot of different volunteering projects with the team, tree planting, beach cleanups, we're trying to clean up a million pieces of plastic from around the country wow. as well. We're at, I think, 960,000 pieces when I last looked at it. So we're getting really close. So we're sort of on the final stretch to the million pieces. But So we give people free products to clean up their beaches. So once again, if you know anyone who wants to do a beach cleanup, like, let them know. We'll send them free yogurt and they can get gloves and bags and stuff from us as well. So, yeah, so I think that love of helping and, and giving back has been a big a big driver for a lot of the different projects that we've done. And then the writing side, that's just helped with all our marketing and communications because I did all of that for many, many years. And, and just recently in the last year, we've brought other people into the marketing team to help with that kind of thing. So yeah, no, they've, they've both been really helpful, I think, for the business. There's so many great initiatives from Raglan Food Co. Definitely more than just a food company. Yes, when have you grown the most in your life and what caused that growth? Mm, the whole business journey has been a massive personal development exercise. So I'd say, yeah, the last eight years of doing that has been probably way more effective than any university degree <laughs> that I could have signed up for because I didn't go to uni. I didn't mm. go to school either. I was homeschooled. So I haven't done the kind of yeah, traditional education, but I've learned a lot from from doing things, from actually just trying stuff and doing projects and starting things. And 
yeah, learning along the way. So I can recommend starting a business to anyone who wants to develop personally. <laughs> you can't you can't really avoid it if you if you want the business to do well, then you're going to have to grow personally. What are your opinions and tips about school and university? Because clearly you can succeed without going to university. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, I'm a bit biased because I was homeschooled, so I'd, I'd never went to school at all and I loved it. So that worked really well for me. Maybe it wouldn't work for everyone. And also depends, you know, what region of the country you're in, how isolated you are. Like mm. we, we still got to hang out with lots of other people who are homeschooling and we still got to join, like I was on a school netball team, for example. So I was still interacting with kids that way as well. And I was one of four. There's four of us. So we had some company at home for homeschooling. But I don't think I don't think uni is required, certainly for a lot of things that you want to do. You can teach yourself. There's mm. so many different courses online now. I mean, you can sign up to do have you seen those masterclasses? Like yes, ma- yeah. yeah. You can learn from the best in the world from the things that they do just, mm. you know, by paying a monthly fee. And there's so many options like that now. But then, of course, certain things you're going to have to go to uni for. Like if you want to do open heart surgery or something, then I wouldn't necessarily trust a YouTube <laughs> video. Like, or to be a dentist or, or trades. There's there's always things we have to actually do hands-on mm. learning but for a lot of more sort of academic or theoretical learning, I think you can do just as well learning yourself and trying things out and, and sort of failing and learning that way and, you know, save some time and money. So I've been working full time since I was 16 because I didn't go to uni. So I got a bit of a head start in that way. You know, I was, I was already working for years by the time other people were just finishing university. And I think that has made a difference. That's really, really inspiring. Now, this is sort of a vague question, but I know Raglan Food Co. has a lot of sustainability initiatives. Yep. How big of a, I guess, value is sustainability for Raglan Food Co.? It's right up there. It's in our top values. So, yeah, it it's tied into pretty much everything we do as a company and and how we treat the team and what we do in the community. And I think that in the future, you know, that's just the way to do business. Mm. It's going to be expected from businesses that they will have a whole sustainability strategy and they'll be doing all these things. So we do, like we're a carbon zero organisation, so we do tracking and reduction and offsetting of all our emissions every year. And then we're also a certified B Corp. And that comes with a lot of different criteria and standards that you have to meet in all areas of your business. So they're looking at sustainability across everything, which is really cool. So, yeah, I think it's critical. And I'm hoping that more and more businesses are getting on board with that way of thinking and really making an effort in those areas. Hmm. What were some of the biggest decisions you made for Raglan Food Co.? The biggest decisions... Well, there's always, it's like a mix of saying yes to things and saying no to things or realizing when it's time to say no to things. So for example, we went into Australia, we were exporting to Australia, we did that for nearly a year and then we, it was taking a lot of time and effort and we weren't really making any money, we were Mm. sort of breaking even at best due to a whole bunch of different factors. But so we ended up having to make the decision to pull out of Australia and that felt like a big decision at the time because... We already had customers and, you know, we're disappointing these people who can't get the product anymore and so on. And we'd already invested all this time and energy into getting it going. 
but it really felt like the right decision because then we could focus more on New Zealand and other things we were doing that were much more profitable. So we did that. We deleted a whole range of products. We used to make little pouches for kids and we couldn't find any kind of compostable or sustainable option for those, even though we searched for quite a long time. Mm. People weren't using our recycling program, so we ended up deleting that range to focus on other things. Decisions like bringing on an investor, decisions like whether or not to take the risk of building a factory. I mean, there's so many different big decisions that we've had to make along the way. So, yeah, you're always making decisions (laughs) when you have a business, big and small. Speaking of international markets, how has that been with your other international markets? Have they been successful? Have there been challenges? Mm. Well, it's been a mixed bag, especially with COVID and the last few years. Like it's the freight freight costs have gone up astronomically. So that's definitely impacted things. But we're in a bunch of different markets now. So we're in Hong Kong, we're in Singapore, we've been there for quite a few years. That goes really well. We're in a bunch of little Pacific Island nations even Rarotonga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're also supplying the UAE, United Arab Emirates. So we're in a bunch of stores over there with a chain called Spinnies. Uh, so, yeah, depending on the region and how they've been affected by lockdowns and so on in different ways, they've, you know, had different degrees of success. I would say Singapore has been our most consistent market that we've entered and then at the moment we're working on the US so that's that's our big Mm. focus is to actually produce over there with our recipe and supply stores in the US so that will be very exciting once we've pulled that off and we're actually in some in some stores and on some shelves which is getting pretty close now. Do you export your products to those company to those countries or do you manufacture them inside of a country? So all those other ones that I mentioned that we're in now, we're, we're shipping to, or rather we ship to Auckland and then the distributor consolidates it with all the other things they bring in and they bring it over. Mm. With the US, we're wanting to produce in market just because it's a massive market. It just wouldn't be feasible to try and ship product over there. You also mm. lose a lot of time in shipping because by the time it arrives, you've already lost a week or so of your shelf life and it's also expensive. Mm. So. Is there a reason that food businesses tend to expand into Singapore as one of their first international markets? Because I've seen quite a few New Zealand food startups expand to Singapore before going anywhere else. Hmm. Yep, I think you're right there. And there's a few reasons for that. It's very, it's very densely populated, so mm. it's quite easy to ship around there. Whereas compared to Australia, which is ginormous and spread out in every state's like a country. So that's quite complex. Whereas Singapore, you've got millions of people in a very small area. Mm. There's also a lot of different cultures there. There's a lot of expats who are living there and they want to access products that are sort of similar to what they could get back at home. So it's a very like international flavor kind of food culture, which mm. helps. So they're open to trying lots of different things from other countries. They from what I understand, they primarily import products. They they don't they don't produce a lot as a nation because it's really just it's like a city a city country. Mm. I remember going there and I was and I found out that the the beach like you could go to one beach there and it was a fake beach <laughs> like it's, I can't remember is it called like Sentosa or Santos or something and it, you like swim out there and then eventually you hit a wall kind of like on the Truman Show and it's I think it's like 
imported sand or it's like, yeah so it's it's not like New Zealand where we have a lot of natural resources and we can produce a lot so yeah so that's why a lot of people end up supplying Singapore and it's also quite wealthy so people are prepared to pay a premium for imported products. Hmm, that's really interesting and it does make sense yeah if you could start over what would you do differently? Nothing <laughs> I, I don't know I, I get asked that question quite a lot and it, it's there's no point thinking about how you would have done it all differently because you did it how you did it Mm. and it got you where it got you you know so it's you kind of have to accept anything that went wrong is just what was meant to happen and and it's helped you end up where you are so of course you know there's always things you would do differently if you really Mm. had a groundhog day opportunity and you could wake up again and you know say things different or have a conversation differently or pick a different person to hire for a role or, you know, there'd be all kinds of little things that you'd do. But I think overall it's not really – it doesn't help anyone to, to spend a lot of time dwelling on the past and mm. things that you would have done differently. That's a really good mindset. Who has played the biggest part in motivating you to persevere? Hmm. Me, really. I don't like it. <laughs> like mm. a, <laughs> I think it's a lot of it's self, self-motivation. I would, I encourage myself, you know, like I would say, I would say affirmations to myself if I need some encouragement. And so, yeah, so that and then my family, my family are really lovely and supportive and they've been there for me the whole, the whole way. Quite a lot of them have worked, well, all of them have worked in the business at some point or helped with different things. They've done expos and my mom, my brother and my sister have all made yogurt. Like in the early stages, they were all working in the kitchen, you know, producing yogurt. And another sister helped out with the admin for a while. And so, yeah, they've, they've all been really involved. And I guess a, a big driving force for me with having a business or being an entrepreneur was to be able to provide for my family in the future and, you know, help them out and yeah. look after my parents when they get older and, So, yes, that's been a big motivating force Mm. for sure. Mm. What is your most unique belief? My most unique belief? Well, that we don't need cows, at least not as a food source. Mm. I don't know if that's particularly unique, but it would be probably divisive, at least in New Zealand, (laughs) depending on who you're talking to. So, yes, I'm... I'm not a believer in mass animal agriculture at all from everything that I've seen and read. It just doesn't, it just doesn't make logical sense. Like even if you don't care about animal welfare and you don't care about, you know, physically killing them and eating them, there's just something so illogical about using so much room, Mm. so much land and so much food, you know, because we grow, we grow a heap of food just to feed it to animals to then eat those animals like it's a really ineffective way of getting calories Mm. so yep that's that's a belief that I've kind of grown over time and then also that we create our own suffering which Mm. is, is not my unique belief at all like you can look at Buddhism or any other major sort of faith around the world and and you'll get something similar but yeah a lot of things that we blame and a lot of things that we hold as the reason why you know things aren't working out for us or it's it's all external and actually we're creating the bulk of our suffering internally Mm. just through how we look at it and our perspective on it 
Have there been any disappointments along the way? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've had all kinds of different things go wrong. And then, you know, things just don't necessarily go how you think. That, that happens a lot. Like mm. we've launched whole product ranges that didn't sell. And it's disappointing because we have spent all this time and energy and money kind of getting something going. We had this product called the Raglan Granola Jar at one point. I think that was maybe three years in. I can't remember now. And it was, it had yogurt, like a pottle of yogurt, and then it had organic granola, which a lovely lady in Raglan was making for it, and a little wooden spoon, and, you know, all sealed in a glass jar. And it was really yummy, and, you know, it looked nice and everything, and we thought it was going to do really well. But I think we were just too early for mm. the kind of on-the-go breakfast-type thing. Like, now you can find quite a few of those sorts of products have popped up, but at the time there wasn't so much. And, yeah, and also the higher price point because it was all organic mm. granola and you know it was quite sort of high end and yeah it just didn't sell that well so we had to you know can the whole the whole thing after all that effort so mm. lots of those sorts of disappointments mm. which it's feel hard at the time but then you move on and, and it's fine yeah it's a great idea though they were yummy I think you'd like them <laughs> has your product recipe changed much since commercializing your product for example sourcing ingredients and resources the the base recipe is very, very much the same as what it was. Although originally I used to put honey in it. So the first the first version had honey and we ended up taking that out because, you know, quite a few vegans don't eat honey. Mm. And we also had a couple of gums in it that we used as stabilizers. And so we took those out as well. So now we use a natural starch. And that was because certain people were on diets where they're trying to avoid gums. Yeah, so other than those two things, like it's it's pretty much the same. We've used different suppliers for coconut cream. Like we're always looking for different suppliers. Mm. Pretty much all from Indonesia though. So that's been quite consistent. Yeah, and it's always been in that glass jar. So that's that's pretty much the jar that we started with is very similar to the jar we have now. We just ended up getting a, a wider one with a bigger opening. So it was easier for people to scrape out with their spoons. So that's something that's changed. And also the labels are, are very similar. We've had those kind of wrap labels. But even that, that's changed slightly. Now we have them in like two separate labels. So it's like a front label and a back label. It used to be one big wraparound label. But this is easier for our machine to apply without getting wrinkles. We always have problems with getting wrinkles with the, the big wraparound ones. So like, mm. yeah, so little subtle differences and iterations over time, but, but very similar. Mm. And I imagine it was quite hard to expand from your home or yeah mm. and into such a big big production process and the factory itself mm. yeah that was a lot of changes too but that happened very gradually over time so it was like home, then commercial kitchen then shipping container then like three different versions of the sort of shipping container setup because we expanded it multiple times and then the first version of the factory and then we've just extended the factory so some other stuff's changed there so it's yeah it has happened in stages hmm. how difficult is the pathway to getting your product placed in a supermarket it's not easy <laughs> <laughs> you've got to have something good it's got to be unique from what else is there and it's also got to be at a reasonable price so hmm. those are the the things you're kind of striving for and for us 
we built up to it. So I actually went around New Zealand with a little chili bin and like went into all the stores, store by store. So I've been to nearly every supermarket in this country, (laughs) I reckon, and approached the buyer and, you know, gradually got stores on board. And then we got to a sort of certain size and then the head office, the supermarket head office was like, oh, you seem to be in quite a few stores. You know, you should come have a meeting with us and talk about ranging, you know, being officially ranged. So we did it that way around, which was not really what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to kind of go to head office and get them to sign it off and then then go to store. So, but we didn't know. We, we were just figuring it out mm. as we went. So, yeah, it's it's not – it isn't easy. And it's competitive. You know, this, if you don't perform, you'll be deleted and you'll be replaced with someone else. They don't give you a really long shot to, to prove yourself. You know, it's it's, it's got to work pretty quickly. Is it st- – do you sign up for it store by store? Do you inquire individually or is it – or do you inquire to the head office and they approve it or decline it? That's the way you're supposed – That the second route. So we did it the first way. We went store by store to mm. all the new worlds and four squares and then found out later that really you're supposed to have a meeting with head office and mm. present it, you know, do a whole pitch and then they decide which stores they're going to range it in. So, yeah, and then and it's different depending on the chains as well. So you've got Foodstuffs, which is New World, Four Squares and Pack and Saves. And then you've got Progressive Enterprises, which is Countdown, Super Value, Fresh Choice. Hmm. So they operate differently. One's owner-operated Foodstuffs. And then Progressives is, is all head office out of Australia. And then there's a head office in New Zealand. So it's they only range you on a head office basis you mm. can't you can't go store to store with countdown like if you tried to present it they just say nope talk to head office whereas foodstuffs you can do a little bit more with the stores individually because they're own operated mm. a bit more flexible mm. so you slowly expanded from i guess as your product came, became more popular yeah 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 and finally a very important one what is your quote what is your favorite quote sorry Favorite quote? Oh, yes. Well, I like do it afraid. I don't even, I've said this quote for years and I don't actually remember who it came from. So I should look that up and find out who it, who it is. But I heard it at some point as a teenager and I really liked it. So I've kept that one because I just like the idea of everyone's afraid, you know, like all of us are afraid <laughs> about different things. So, but you just push forward anyway. You just, you, you feel the fear and you're like, okay, I'm afraid, but you don't let it stop you from doing things that you know you want to do. I've heard that one as well, and I think it's a very good quote. Mm. Um, Well, your personal journey and Raglan Food Co.'s journey has been quite interesting, and it fascinates me to hear about it. It's such an amazing journey. Thank you for coming on to CEO Sessions. Oh, you're very welcome. It was really nice to be here and really nice to meet you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Will. Bye.